That's Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 2. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Welcome, my name is Nathan. Um, I'm one of the ministers here at Trinity. Really good to see you here today. Well done for making it in a hot day, missing the last set or so of Wimbledon as well. Uh, we'll have to see what happens, happens later on. It might go all the way to the wire without giving too much away, if you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about tennis, and uh, maybe you can look, look, look that up later. Um, fantastic. Well, we're t- what we're doing, as Jeremy said, is taking a little bit of a break from what we normally do at Trinity. Normally, we work through books of the Bible, kind of chunk by chunk. And just for the next um, three weeks, what we're doing is, is a mini-series looking at three words. They're not going to be really, really short sermons, but we're going to be looking at three, three words, repentance, faith and discipleship. And they're probably, if you've been around church for a while, probably familiar words, words that you've heard, words that you've used. But we don't often stop and think, do we? What what is repentance? What does faith look like? What does it mean for me to be a disciple of of Jesus? And so looking at these three stories in Luke's gospel that we're going to be doing, um, I really hope that we'll be able to understand these crucial terms more personally, but, but much more than that, that the Holy Spirit would, would use these sermons to help us to live lives of, of devotion to Jesus, full of repentance, full of faith, and full of discipleship, um, living uh, for him. So I'm going to pray, and, uh, and then we'll look at repentance. Uh, Father, it's a hot day, uh, maybe we're a bit weary, a bit tired uh, at the end of this week, and I just pray for us to be able to concentrate, to listen. Pray for me, Lord, as I speak uh, on this topic of repentance. It can be a topic maybe that we don't think about very much, something maybe we're we're unsure of why it is we even need to repent, perhaps, as we come into this building today. But I pray that we seek clarity on these things and that you, by your Holy Spirit, would impress these truths on us um, so that we might want to be people who live lives of repentance, gladness for all that Jesus Christ has done. We pray in his name. Amen. Good. Just as, um, just as we start, I want you just, uh, don't worry, there's no sort of right answer, but just with the, the person next to you, if you hear the word repentance, what kind of words or feelings come to mind? If you hear someone say repent or repentance, what's your kind of gut feeling? Just for, just for a few seconds, just with the person next to you as we start uh, looking at this.
Good. Let me break in there. I'm sure, um, sure you were getting to the depths of it um, in that 20 seconds or whatever I gave you. Uh, I, don't, look, I don't know what you said. I don't know what you discussed there. There might be a range of things. Um, repentance, I'm guessing, it's not, not seen as particularly sort of popular, probably. Uh, it can be seen as a bit negative, a bit uh, as a sort of kind of word or concept. It doesn't really fit with the spirit of our age, does it? Hashtag no regrets. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. Um, or think about, as Dave was praying about, politicians. You might have been following what was happening in the news this week, and sometimes politicians speak about being humbled. Um, and perhaps they're more sorry sometimes to be caught rather than sorry that they did something, perhaps. I don't know. But even in the church as well, not just kind of outside, but in the church, in the 21st century, repentance as a kind of term or concept, can often be squeezed out the picture, can't it? Lots of talk of believe in Jesus and be saved, but calling someone to repent ooh, feels a little bit finger-waggy, maybe. A bit negative, depressing, or might even go further. Someone I heard say, psychologically damaging to kind of talk about sin and guilt and dwell in those things. Come on, what are we doing? That's not going to make people feel great, is it? Well, there's a bit to say uh, in this sermon as we go through it. But, but at this point, it's just two reasons why I want to say that is a problem if we've been repentance or, or just going to throw that out. And problem number one is that, that Jesus and his apostles preached about it quite a lot. Okay? So on the screen here, hopefully coming up, you'll see Jesus. And the first thing he says, the first word he says in Mark's gospel is this. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Or Peter in the book of Acts, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for, for, for the forgiveness of sins. Or Paul, the apostle, at the end of his kind of ministry in the book of Acts, he says this, first to those in Damascus, then to Jerusalem, Judea, Gentiles, I preach that um, they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. So there's a bit of a problem, isn't it, if we go yeah, we're not going to use that language, or we don't really want to think or talk about it, because Jesus and the apostles seem to think it was quite important. Who are we to kind of move away from what they said? But actually, the second little reason, just as we kick off, is that, that actually when we feel distant from God, and perhaps some of us here do today, repentance is often the solution. So just imagine Lisa, okay? She made her up. Lisa's a, she's been a Christian a number of years and, um, but she's keeping her distance from God. She's choosing a pattern of sin that's pretty destructive. And so she's keeping her relationship with God at sort of arm's length. And she comes to church and feels a bit cold and distant. Or think about Nick. Nick's a new, new Christian, new believer. But he's keeping his distance from God because he feels ashamed of, of sin and, and ways he's let God down. And, and he thinks, like, oh, I couldn't possibly come before God in prayer. For both Lisa and Nick, coming before God in repentance is the solution. Tim Chester put it this way. I'll just put the quote up on the screen that I found helpful. He said, repentance doesn't sound much fun. It involves admitting you've done wrong or saying no to the pleasures of sin. But think of it as the gateway to the pleasures of God. It can be a squeeze sometimes passing through that gate. But on the other side is a wide open space filled with light and love. And some of us really need to hear that today. Maybe you feel cold, distant. 
uh, in your relationship with God personally, often repentance is the pathway back to joy in the Christian life. That wide open space, as Tim Chester put it, of, of light and love. That kind of access, that experience of God, that is available to you in repentance and faith coming before God. It's not just a, I don't know what you said in your groups there, but it's not just a gritted through the teeth kind of, sorry God, I've got you down again. <laughs> no, it's a healthy, good thing for a relationship with the Lord. So what we're going to do, it should be there on your sheets if you follow along, I'm going to think about three questions. What is repentance? What does it look like? And how can we live lives of repentance? That's where we're going. And I want to spend a good chunk of time looking at that story then in Luke's gospel, one particular angle of, of repentance. But before we do that, we need to sort of zoom out to give a, a big Bible picture of, of what is this word, what is this concept, repentance? Let me put it like this. I, I think it's this. It's a genuine sorrow for sin and a commitment to turn 180 from sin to Jesus. Let me say that again. It's a, it's a genuine sorrow for sin and a commitment to, to do a 180, if you like, from, from sin to Christ, to follow Jesus. Theologians who spend a lot of their time thinking about these things, uh, they sort of categorize repentance, I think, helpfully in three ways, that it affects the mind. So intellectually, there is an, an element here where you understand that sin, uh, for what it is, is wrong. So, so you've got to understand in the mind, but that's not everything, is it? Because, well, they talk about the emotions, mind, emotions. Not simply understanding that sin is real, but there being a personal sense of sorrow, hatred of sin before God that you've committed before him, a holy and just God. Think of um, that hymn we sometimes sing, don't we? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton, who wrote that, understood yeah, sin's not just something out there, but it's actually it's a problem here. So it's, it's mind, it's emotions. But then the third element they talk about is the will. Because there is an active decision to do this 180. I don't know which way around we're going there. Let's go, let's go this way. A, a 180, turning from sin to Jesus in a life of joyful obedience following him. And maybe just as you think about your own story, if you're a Christian here today, that many of us would be. You can think about that moment, maybe of conversion, when you became a Christian. Maybe you heard a sermon or a, you were in a, a Bible study group or something like that. And there was that conviction that sin wasn't just something out there or other people. It actually, yeah, it was a problem in here as well. And in that moment, you made a commitment and said, Jesus, I, I want to turn from that life and do a U-turn and, and follow you. Sometimes that moment is dramatic. Someone like Martin Luther, who Jeremy mentioned at the beginning, for him, he talks about that in a very dramatic language. Often it will seem more ordinary, humanly speaking, as someone comes to Jesus in that way. But yet it is a miracle. It's a work of God, isn't it, in someone's life? Producing repentance, that authentic sorrow over sin. Sincere commitment to walk in obedience to Jesus, however imperfectly we do that. So kind of big picture, first thing. What is repentance? Which genuine sorrow for sin and a commitment to do a 180, to turn from sin and that direction we're heading to, to Jesus Christ. The second thing though, that we see, uh, second question is this. What does repentance actually look like? 
And uh, this is where we kind of get one camera angle from Luke's gospel. So if you lost your page, it's on 1053 uh, that Felicity read out, the story of Zacchaeus, Luke 19. Maybe it's a familiar story. That's a great story, isn't it, to, to listen to. And um, yeah, three, three little details come out about Zacchaeus as we're introduced to him at the beginning of the story. First of all, we're told, verse 2, can you see, that he was a chief tax collector. Okay, so historically, if you might know, the Romans at that time were the superpower sort of of the day. And so to finance their, their great world empire, they levied heavy taxes uh, on the nations that were under their control. But rather than them doing all this work, they got people living in those nations to do that work for them. So people like Zacchaeus, they farmed out responsibility to him. And so Zacchaeus is, is Jewish, but yet he is working for the enemy, the Romans. Ooh, you know, hear that noise at that point. And you might know that it was standard practice for, for people like Zacchaeus to collect the tax and then just skim a little bit extra off the top for them to keep for themselves. And everybody knew that tax collectors, they were traitors, they were notable cheats, and they were corrupt. And Zacchaeus, we're told, isn't just any tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. In other words, his mummy would not be proud of the, the kind of path that he has taken in life working for the, for the enemy. So we know he's a chief tax collector. The second little thing in verse 2 is that we're told he's wealthy. Look, not necessarily bad. The Bible speaks positively at times about wealth. But here we know that it is linked to corruption. We know how he's got his wealth in this way. And if we were to be working through Luke's gospel, uh, just on the page before verse 25 of chapter 18, Jesus has just said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So we've kind of got that maybe in our ear going, hmm, okay, he's wealthy, chief tax collector. And then thirdly, we're told slightly unusually that he's short. Um, literally, he's limited in stature. That's how it reads. So if, if you're maybe limited in stature and you want to use that phrase now, you, there we go. You can use, you can use that. Um, but Jesus here is, is in town, okay? He's visiting. And there's a buzz, you can imagine, an excitement, maybe rumors going round. And, and the crowd are all inquisitive. And so is Zacchaeus. He's curious. Jesus is here. He's in town. There's only a problem for Zacchaeus that, again, maybe, if, my if you are limited in stature, maybe you've had this problem where you kind of, no, okay, need to keep looking, to, trying to find and see what's going on. And so what does Zacchaeus do? Well, we're told two unusual things. Verse 4, he ran. That was quite odd for men of his kind of uh, age to do that, perhaps, in society. And then famously, the second thing is that he runs up a tree. Did he run up a tree? Climb up a tree. That's what he did. He climbed up this tree. Zacchaeus climbed, climbed up. And just as a complete side note, I love here the, the eyewitness detail from Luke. What are we told? It's a sycamore fig tree. Fairy tales, myths, stories that aren't true. They don't put that kind of eyewitness detail. This is, this is authentic. It's really, conversation really did take place. I don't know. If, if um, this was set in London today, I, I imagine it might be that... Uh, it's Philip Green up the tree. Do you know Philip Green, the guy who was sort of head of the Arcadia group, Topshop, uh, was accused of bullying with N uh, NHS, BHS, and, um, and nearly had his knighthood taken off. Philip Green, I don't know if he's short or not. I've never, I should have looked it up on Wikipedia. But it's a bit like someone like Philip Green is, is, is up in the tree, just, okay, uh, 
bit, bit strange that he's up there. Here is a man in, in Zacchaeus who is despised, he's hated, he's a traitor up the tree. Yeah, look what happens in verse 5. Jesus reached the spot and he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I should imagine them. Imagine for a moment you're Zacchaeus. And you're halfway up the tree. Maybe you've got a branch stuck in your back uh, of the tree. And you've got your, you're wealthy. You've got the three-piece Armani suit. And, and you're, you're up in the tree. And then all eyes turn to you as Jesus addresses you and asks if he can pop over to your house. You imagine that the first thought would be, if, if it was me, would go, ooh, I haven't done the washing up for a couple of days, and there's the dust, you know, I haven't done dusting for at least three, two, two months. Jesus is coming, okay. And then, but then after that, you think, gosh, there's no other Zacchaeus in this trip. This is me. He, Jesus wants to come to my house. Wow, mind-boggling, baffling. Me, Zacchaeus, I'm a tax collector. And it's not just Zacchaeus who was shocked. Look at the crowd in verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Imagine the crowd that, Jesus, no, 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 not that, not that guy. We've got the archbishop around the corner or the pope or the chief rabbi. Come, and, come, come this way, Don't, not him. But no, Zacchaeus has been chosen. Uh, first time I've seen this, but I sort of presume the crowd were Pharisees because they said, no, we're not told that. <laughs> Actually, it's just the crowd. But I guess means that the pharisaical heart actually travels further than just that group of people. <laughs> Yet in Luke's gospel, Jesus is always calling the broken, the untouchables, the despised, the lost. And he's calling them to repentance. See, despite Zacchaeus being a traitor and a cheat, Jesus loved him. And so they went back to Zacchaeus' house. And you imagine, again, if you're just practically on the way back, Zacchaeus is thinking, what do I feed him? I, is there something in the back of the freezer, like a pizza or Goodfellas pizza or something that I can get? I know they didn't have freezers. Though. But, you know, what am I going to feed? Jesus is coming to my house. But what happens next, I really want us to focus on, just look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the, the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Look, I want us to see that here is a model of immediate repentance, a true change in his life. See, as, the, as Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, the, the Son of God, there's a change of mind, isn't there? There's an understanding here that, that he sees sin for what it is. But there's more than that. See, emotionally, personally, do you remember? He sees the error of his ways, all the maybe lies and greed and dishonesty and that kind of thing. And in light of that, there's a, there's a change of will. His values are changed. And he forsakes sin here. And it costs him, literally, doesn't it? Here. Uh, he gives half of his possessions to the poor, we're told. That's, looking around the room, that's the the coffee table and the lamp and the olive oil and whatever else it, is, it gives it. It's costly. And more than that, he says four times the amount he'll repay anybody that he's cheated. 
Exodus 22, verse 1. This is a kind of strictest reading of that law in Exodus 22 that Zacchaeus is taking on to repay that amount. What I want to say is for someone who's come to Jesus admitting that they've done wrong, like Zacchaeus, inner change leads to outward action. A 180 change of direction, immediate action, a radical new start, that, that is repentance. A change of direction from walking towards sin to walking towards Jesus Christ and following him. I remember at church I used to be, used to be out, there was a girl, um, she's called Nat, uh, no, no one knows her here, and um, she, she sort of started coming along in her mid-twenties or early-twenties to, um, to church, and she, uh, yeah, she became a Christian wonderfully after maybe four or five weeks or something at the church, decided to follow Jesus. And I, I was chatting to her. And she said to me, oh, Nathan, I, I, had, to, I had to do something the other day. No, no one had told her about this or told her to do it. But she said, I needed to put something right that before I was a Christian, I did. I thought, okay, what's, where's she going with this? And she said, oh, I was living in a, a flat share two, three years ago and... Uh, you know those wonderful days that hardly ever happen when you get a rebate from like Thames Water or EDF or something like that, and it says we've we've taken too much from your accounts, we're putting it back. That doesn't often happen, but it's good, isn't it, when that happens? And and that had happened for her, you know, Thames Water. We've paid overpaid by eighty pounds, whatever. Here's the money back. And she was kind of in charge of bills. None of her flatmates bothered doing any of that stuff, so she was doing. It. And she she came back to her. And rather than tell her housemates about it, she thought, mm, I'll just put the money in my. They don't need to know. It's been addressed to me. 80 quid, whatever. It's not that much, is it? She didn't think anything more about it. And she became a Christian. And um, well, two, three years later, and she thought, I need to put that right. And so she, I don't know, texted them, rang them, and, and said, look, I owe you £22.61, whatever, <laughs> whatever it was. Can I transfer that over? Because I, I cheated you, actually, out of that money. I lied about that. No one had told her to do that, but can you see that inner change of repentance led to, to outward action, even if that's costly? See, what we see here is Zacchaeus. Even someone like Zacchaeus is transformed because salvation, we're told, has come to his house. I, I love how Jesus summarizes it in verse 10. For the Son of Man, that's one of the titles Jesus uses, came to seek and to save the lost. So, of course, this is the ultimate reason why repentance is necessary. Because without repentance and faith, we're lost, Jesus was saying. Jesus didn't come uh, to, to show us kind of a good morals kind of to live by that he left behind so that we can sort of be better people. Uh, he didn't come to kind of institute a new kind of socialist politics that he that he wanted to kind of undo the systems of the day. Jesus ultimately came, well, he tells us, to seek and to save the lost. Calling people like Zacchaeus, calling people like you and me to repentance. I love that Zacchaeus, at the start of this day, he was lost, wasn't he? Alienated up a tree. And by the end of this story, he's, he's found by Jesus. He's welcomed. He's changed, there's feasting, there's joy in Jesus' company. And just as I was working on this sermon this week, it, it struck me that our culture at the moment doesn't really have a category for this kind of story.
for this kind of forgiveness, does it? So we see, I don't know, every other week, don't we, um, someone, uh, some dirt has been brought up on them, or a, a scandal kind of on a tweet that they, you know, made 10 or 12 years ago is dug up by some. Who are these people that sort of go through every tweet of everyone? But, you know, they find some dirt on someone, and it, and it comes out. It might be genuine wrong that they've done and said something that, that is wrong, but, but it comes up there, and, well, there are no platforms. Uh, they're cancelled. Maybe they lose their job. And that's it, isn't it? It's the end of the story, sort of full stop. We, we see that, don't we, all the time. Christian gospel is very different. People like Zacchaeus, the second chances. It's an opportunity for forgiveness, restoration, welcome from Jesus Christ. And that is very wonderful, isn't it? Well, that shows us a little bit at what repentance looks like from one angle. And just for the remainder of our time, a little bit more briefly, I just want us to think about this third question. How can I, how can we, live a life of repentance? I chatted, I'm just talking about the sermon with a few people this week, and um, the conversation's gone like this with a couple of people, where they've said, look, I I get that I need to to repent and believe in Jesus to become a Christian. I I sort of get that. When you're converted, you, you repent, you say sorry to God, and then you, you believe. Why do I need to keep on saying sorry? You know, sometimes we do the confession, don't we, in church? We do that in a minute. Hasn't Jesus paid for all our sins? Why, why do we keep on doing that? Well, to answer that question, look, there, is in a sense, there is a once-for-all decisive moment when someone becomes a Christian, when, yes, they do repent, and, and that covers their sin, past, present, and future, done brilliant okay but there's also an ongoing way of life it's not a sort of one and done thing you know i did that back in 96 or 2004 no there's an ongoing element to the christian life of a way of repentance but think about jesus in the lord's prayer when he says father forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us seems to suggest that there's an ongoing element that we're coming before him in this way i find it helpful maybe to think about it like this that that if we're a Christian, our status before God is secure. So it doesn't sort of move in and out of God's forgiveness as the day goes on. So if you're having a shocker of a day as a Christian, it's not like, oh, you were a Christian at the beginning of the day, and then, oh, out, and can you work your way back? No, your status, if you're a Christian, is absolutely secure if you have repented. However, our walk or our kind of experience of the Christian life, well, that's a little bit more up and down, and, and we know that. If anyone's uh, been a Christian for a number of years, you'll know that. So if you're a Christian, when you sin, it, when you sin, that does not affect your eternal salvation. If you were to sin today, as you will, and you didn't repent of that particular sin, you're not going to go to hell. You're saved. Your status is secure. But if we love Christ, we'll we want to change, aren't we? We want to be grieved by our sin in the same way that Jesus is grieved by our sin. We want to talk to him about that, express sorrow in a relationship with him. Uh, for those of you here, this might work a little bit better. Um, most of you have met my son, Micah, and um, believe it or not, he is not perfect all the time. I know that's a really, really shocking thing um, for anyone to understand, but uh, actually just before the last song. Anyway, um, but he, uh, you know, I have a date, for example. No, he... Here's my son, okay? He's, he's my son. That status of between us is absolutely secure. 
He doesn't kind of move in and out of that. He is my son. I am, I am his father. Okay, and Luke is my son as well. And, and Micah kind of doesn't move, move in and out of that status. But, but yet when he does something wrong, um, as happens, and he needs to say sorry to it, I, I say, Micah, can you say sorry for what you did? And normally there's a, you know, at least initial response. And he's not then enjoying those few moments, or maybe longer, as he's not saying so. The, the relationship is still there. He's absolutely my son in those moments. But he's not particularly enjoying it. And then he says to me, Daddy, Daddy, I'm really sorry that I said that or I did that. And I say, Michael, I forgive you. It's okay. I forgive you. And the relationship then is restored, isn't it? And then we go on and build a train track or whatever happens after that. But actually, he didn't fail to be my son in that moment. But in terms of the kind of experience, relationship, with him holding back that repentance or, or saying sorry, well, that affected things. See, repentance is not just necessary, but it's healthy. It's good. So let's apply this just to, to our lives. Let me ask you, is, is personal repentance, is that something that features in your life at all? Or is it sort of fallen by the wayside? Personal repentance, is, does that feature in, in your life? It could be when we're reading the Bible, maybe uh, if we read that on our own. Or maybe in a small group, Dave mentioned those small groups. We, we hear or read something and we go, oh man, I've been walking this direction. And as I'm confronted with the Holy Spirit's inspired words, and I, I need to turn. We have... You had those moments in the Bible? I certainly have. At least that 180 change of direction. I think it's helpful to make repentance kind of a daily thing, a daily habit. We don't have to wait till a sin kind of is crushing us or kind of, oh, I'm feeling really weighed down by this and letting sin fester. No, we can, we can name. We can name our sin before God, keep short records with him. And a few people in church here will be in, uh, in prayer triplets, kind of, Three people meeting up, or four, it doesn't have to be three. Two, three, four people meeting up. And, and sometimes that's a good place to say, look, hey, do you know what? I'm finding this really hard. I'm struggling with that. Can you pray for me? Kind of sometimes it's helpful to be open uh, in that way uh, with people that you're comfortable with. But to push it a little bit more, is the, is the someone, like with my friend Nat, with those bills, that you need to come clean with as you hear about Zacchaeus today? Or something like Zacchaeus that you need to repent of as you sit here. Maybe the Holy Spirit's sort of putting his, his finger on an error in your life. Wait, look, you just, maybe you're the only person in this room that knows. <laughs> but you realize, yeah, I need to do a 180 on that. Might be that you're... Uh, the kind of person you realize at the moment that you, you always say yes to things, okay? Someone asks for help, yeah, I'll be there, I'll do that. And then you don't put it in your diary or you forget or you bail. And that's just, that's, I think we all do that, right? But that's a pattern and it's kind of all the time you're doing that. You might want to repent of that. Or maybe there's someone in church here who, um, you know, you, you know that they like you, um, but you're not interested in a relationship with them at all. Uh, you know that they like you, and you think, oh, it's quite nice that someone likes me that. I'm just going to kind of lead them on, and it feels quite good. I can't do any harm, but actually, yeah, it's probably going to hurt them quite a lot when they realize that you've led them on and you're not interested. Maybe that's something to repent of. It might be that you're, 
you're serving loads here in church, you're on loads of things, doing loads of work, but you're kind of bitter, resentful at someone who's not doing that, or people who aren't pulling their weight as much as you are, and you come to church and you leave church kind of with that attitude in your heart, and you, well, you need to repent of that. See, rather than repentance being depressing and miserable, it's actually fairly liberating. We don't need to wear a, wear a mask or be fake before God. But we can come to him, honestly, like, Lord, I'm sorry. That, yeah, this has been going on. Help me with this. It can often increase our enjoyment of God. That relationship, that walk with him is renewed as we're thankful again that he's died for our sin and, and all those things on the cross. And he's forgiven us. Let me finish with this, though. I, I need to say this as well here today. Maybe you're someone who's wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Uh, maybe this is completely new for you today. You've never heard the word repentance before. You maybe want to chat to me at the end. But, but maybe you've heard these things a little bit. But for you, you haven't ever repented personally before God. My mum uh, runs a little coffee morning every Thursday morning. And uh, she's been doing that, I reckon, for about 20, 25 years. And uh, she always just opens the Bible just for two or three minutes, just shares a little thought from the Bible um, to the people there. Some of them are Christians, some, are, some of them aren't. She's been doing this 20, 25 years, and one lady has been coming all that time. She's not a Christian, and my mum's like, why does she keep coming? <laughs> uh, and she's heard the gospel like hundreds of times. And a few weeks ago, at uh, one of these mornings, she said to my mum, she's 90, this lady, uh, and she said to my mum, I'm 90, why am I still here? Why, ha why haven't I gone yet? I mean, that's a classic coffee morning conversation, right? Yeah. Hey, everyone, have another biscuit. Um, why am I still here? Why, why, why haven't I gone? And bear in mind, my mum's known her for a, for a long time, and she can say this to her. But she said something along the lines of this verse from 2 Peter, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. The Lord doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to, is that word again? <laughs> Repentance. The Lord's waiting. And look, we don't need to wait until we're 90 years old to do that. It might just be that for someone here tonight, this, it's that you've realized that like Zacchaeus, you're lost, in Jesus' words, for the first time. Well, the good news for Zacchaeus can be the good news for you as well. Jesus came to seek and to save you, so much so that he would go to a cross and die so that he would willingly sacrifice his life so that you might be forgiven. Can you come and chat to me or someone that you trust here if that is you and you're wanting to do that? We're not going to sing it, but that sung Amazing Grace. Uh, John Newton wrote it. He was an ex-slave trader, you might know famously, became a Christian. And on his, I don't know, 90, however old he was when he died, on his deathbed, uh, someone was there, and, and the very, very last thing that he said before he died, John Neaton, he wrote Amazing Grace, the last thing he said was this, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. One, that I am a great sinner. Two, that Christ is a great saviour. Okay? What did he recognise? Oh, yeah, I need to repent. I mean, pretty obvious slave trade, but I guess other things as well, he realized. <laughs> but to Christ is well, he's a savior. He came to seek and save the lost. Not, my prayer is that we would know those things, not just on our deathbed, but here as well today.
let me leave this in the corner. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Father, um, talk of repentance is perhaps uh, not the most natural thing for us to want to think about, want to talk about, want to do even. We know it's a work of God in someone's life. And Lord, we just pray that we would be people who don't just have that uh, one and done kind of attitude to repentance, but actually there's an ongoing life of that. Uh, as we say sorry to others perhaps for things that we've done or not done. And also as we come before you, that we recognize that it's you alone that we've sinned to. So Lord, help us to be people who are repentant and to see the joy actually in that, not just through gritted teeth, but a, a joyful walk with you as we realize those two things, that we are great sinners, but you are a wonderful, great Savior as well. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.